0: John chapter 17, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible on one of the seat backs there in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have a physical copy of the Bible, so you can feel free, just take that copy with you if you want, and uh, and then bring it back as we come and we dig into God's Word. There's nothing wrong with an electronic copy of God's Word, but there's something really Uh, I would say that helps us really be present in the moment when we have like a physical copy of God's word. Plus, all your emails and text messages aren't popping up then throughout church distracting you from that. Okay, so we're going to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is happening at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. If you remember, we've been in kind of his, this upper room discourse, chapters uh, 14, 15, 16, and now 17, these final words that Jesus has for his disciples before he goes to the cross. And today, this chapter is incredible. Like it's this fantastic front row seat to Jesus's conversation with the Father. And and nowhere else in scripture do we see something like this. I kind of think of it a little like, have you ever been, I'll just, since we're all here on Sundays, I'll kind of relate it to Sundays. Like between services, you go out between services and you look across and you see two people talking from a distance and you're like, oh, I want to talk to those people. I've been wanting to connect with them. I've been wanting to do this. And so you kind of make your way through the lobby and you get over to them and you walk up. And the second you walk into that conversation, you realize it's a whole lot more intense and personal than what you expected. And so now you're questioning, should I have walked over here? Do I just keep standing here, how long till this gets awkward, and should I just back away and disappear again into the crowd, right? That's a little bit of what this is. It's a you, you get this glimpse into Jesus having this conversation with the Father, and you're like, I feel like I'm a little bit on holy ground here, and should I be listening? And yes, you should, is the answer to that. So, So how do we come to a passage like this. I think there's three ways that we come to a passage like this. First, we come in awe, in awe, A-W-E. This is an incredible picture of the triunity of our God. Remember, we serve one God who is eternally equal in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. So Jesus is equal in essence, in being, in divinity with the Father and the Spirit, but he is distinct. And so he's conversing here with the Father, and we get a glimpse into the beauty of this inter-Trinitarian relationship between the Father and the Son. And it is beautiful. And it ought to cause us to worship, right? So we come in awe. Second way that we can come to a passage like this is to learn. It's to learn. Um, If you have a particular skill or hobby, um, think about that and imagine if you had an opportunity to to be with one of the greats within that skill or hobby, just to observe what they were doing and to learn from them, right? If you're a piano player, being able to sit with Beethoven and watch him compose and see him play on that piano, a guitar player sitting with Jimi Hendrix as he riffs on the guitar, you know, a a vocalist, what if you could hang out with Adele during vocal warm-ups That would be amazing, and if you had that opportunity, you know what you would do? You'd be like, everybody be quiet and stay back. Something awesome is about ready to happen, and I wanna watch it, behold it, and learn from it. That's what we get to do. Jesus is about ready. The master is about ready to talk with his father. And right, this, this is unique because it's the father and the son And Jesus, as the son of God, he he prays perfectly in accordance with God's will. We don't. But we can learn something from him here. We can learn what it means to commune with God in prayer. We can learn the right focuses and priorities and postures. And, And even the way Jesus prays helps us think about our prayer. Because he, he prays out in kind of these concentric circles in this passage. He starts by praying for himself. Then he starts, the next he prays for the disciples. And then lastly, down if you look down real quick in verse 20, he prays for all of us. He prays for all believers across all time. Verse 20, he says, I don't ask for these only, for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Like he says, all these things that I've just prayed for my disciples, I'm actually praying them for everyone who will ever place their trust in Jesus Christ. And so we can even learn from that pattern and we're gonna come back to that even at the end of the service and put some of that into practice. And that brings me to the last way that we should come to a passage like this. We should come ready to imitate, to take what we learn from the Lord and to put it into practice to imitate it, okay? All right, so here's what we're gonna do. The Father asks, Jesus asked the Father for five things, and we're gonna look at those. Five things. Uh, The first thing that Jesus asked for is this. Jesus asked the Father to glorify him, to glorify him. Look at verses one through five here. And when Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, Jesus asked the Father to glorify him. Do you remember remember what the definition of God's glory is? God's glory is his holiness. It's his beauty, his character, his majesty on display. And to glorify him means to make much of his glory to honor him in his glory, to magnify him in his glory. And Jesus here in verse four, he's saying, I've made much of you, Father. I've made much of your majesty. How? By accomplishing the work you gave me to do, particularly his redemptive work. He came in the incarnation as a man. He lived the perfect life. We're incapable of living. He called his disciples to himself. He trained them. He's sending them. And here, here in a little bit, he's gonna go to the cross and then he's gonna be resurrected. And he's like, I did all of this to make much of you. Now in verse five, what does he ask? He says, now father, return to me the glory that I enjoyed with you when, before the world existed. What's he, what's he asking for here? Well, he's not, he's not asking for the father to somehow do a reversal of the incarnation. He's not asking for an unincarnation at this point. That's not what's going on. Jesus became a man and he will always be the God-man Jesus Christ and he exists in his glorified body that we will see him in after the resurrection. So if he's not asking for that, what, what is he asking for here in verse five? It's this, he's saying, Father, return me to the transcendent glory and honor and splendor that we shared before he humbled himself and became a man. This, this is a testimony to the preexistence of the son. Do you, do you remember all the way back in August, John chapter one, and what it says there in the first verses? It says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made and in him was life and life was the light of men. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Our triune God has existed eternally in perfect fellowship from all time as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect relationship. And he's like, Father, glorify me. Next thing Jesus asked for is this. He says, Jesus asked the Father to keep them, to keep them. This is our longest section. It starts in verse six. Jesus continues to pray. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Uh, We're hard on the disciples a lot, but Jesus says they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me and I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, Jesus is leaving, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them, In your name, which you have given me. And I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Psalm 41 is that scripture. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. And I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of this world. Jesus asked that the father would keep them. Down in verse 11, he's like, I've been with them. I've been with them and I've kept them and I've protected them. Father, now I'm leaving. I'm coming back to you. Father, Keep them. What does he mean by keep them? There's two senses of this. One is just the sense of protection. Down in verse 15, we see that he asked that they would be protected against the evil one, against Satan. But there's also in this the idea of persevering them. In verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in the faith. He's like, they're they're in the world in verses 14 through 16. The world hates them. You need to keep them. Keep them connected to Jesus. Keep them abiding in me. Keep them persevering in the faith by your grace. But notice there in verse 15. In that, he says, don't take them out of the world. That's really important. Don't take them out of the world. I have them in the world for a purpose, for my glory. But in the world, keep them in the faith. Uh, As Christians, there's a couple temptations that we can have as we think about being in the world. Uh, The first temptation is, is to withdraw from the world. We're tempted as believers to withdraw. Why? Because the world is, is dark, and it's difficult, and it's ruthless. And frankly, the world hates us as Christians. And they hate our king. And so sometimes we can be tempted to retreat from that. That's our defense mechanism, by the way, not the Lord's. We're tempted to retreat. We retreat to only our Christian huddles. We retreat to our our homes and our hobbies and our beds, just wanting to run from the difficulty. And here is Jesus in his conversation with the Father saying, no, 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 no. No, don't take them out of the world. Don't withdraw believers from the world. You're in it for a purpose, okay? The other temptation is, is this. It's to assimilate or to join in with the world, right? In in even unhelpful or, or sinful ways. So it's a little of the, if you can't beat them, join them reality. Well, why are we tempted to do this? Well, we're tempted to do this because it's not any fun to be hated, is it? It's not everybody wants to be at the popular table at some point And we don't have that as christians and that's hard sometimes and we think we think I don't like being on display or being the Weird one or maybe maybe there's even some good desires underneath there where you're like I want to reach the world with jesus And to reach the world with jesus doesn't that mean I have to join in with the world and what they're doing uh, I, I think of this when I think about being a parent. When my kids were young, I felt like I connected really well with them, right? We're just goofy and fun, and I was dad. And then they became teenagers. And then they became teenagers. And I was like, how do I connect with the teenager? Like, and so what I tended to do, I think my kids would say what I tend to do, is try to be cool like they are. I want to connect with them. Like I want to be cool, like you. I'm just dad hanging, right? And they're like, "No, dad, stop. You're not cool. You won't ever be again. I question if you were in your youth." <laughs> and they're like, "You need to just accept that you're old, and be you." You know, I kind of think about this like those those '90s bands that are still going. Like they can't let it go? You're like, Backstreet Boys, it was awesome in 93. It's not anymore, all right? (laughs) Tell me why, (laughs) tell me. (laughs) I couldn't help (laughs) that one. And what I found out with my parenting and with my kids was, is what they need most is not dad to be BFF. What they need most from their father for him to be a faithful father, right? It's not that much different from the way that we're in the world. We're not meant to reach the world by becoming like the world. You're meant, Christians, to be distinct from the world, in the world, not withdrawing from it, but not of the world. Like, Nate, how how are we supposed to be Distinct, like what's that look like? Do we all part our hair the same way and drive the same type of cars? Well, the Lord's gonna tell us here in his prayers there are two areas of distinctiveness that Christians are supposed to embody. One is holiness and the other is unity. Look at this next prayer down in verse 17 through 19. Jesus asked the Father to sanctify them, to sanctify them. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. He's saying, I'm laying myself down as the sacrifice now so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Um, Sanctify them. This word means to make holy or to set apart for a service. And he says, Father, make them holy Set them apart from me. How? How? Right there in the verse. In the truth. What's truth? In fact, in the next chapter, Pilate's going to ask that. What's truth? Well, it tells us. Your word is truth. God's word, this is a very important word here, is truth. It is the standard for truth in the world. Everything is meant to be filtered through God's word. And as we grow in Christ's likeness as believers through his word, by the power of his spirit, we will properly, we will rightly be in the world, sent into the world, but not of the world, distinct from the world. And our, our holiness, our Christ's likeness will shine the light of Jesus in a dark world that's what will stand out not the way that we join into the world with all that they are doing in hopes that we might reach them but rather that we're in and amongst the world but holy looking more and more and increasingly like jesus christ so jesus asked the father to sanctify him the second the next thing jesus asks is this jesus asks the father to make us one to make us one look down at verse 20 I do not ask for these only, for the disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in in you, that they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that that you have given me, the glory... The, all that God the Father has given to the Son to reveal, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Read the last half of that verse again. So that the world may know, may know what? That you, Father, sent me, Jesus and loved them even as you loved me. The other way that we are to be in the world, but not of the world, distinct, is through our unity as believers. We are meant to be so united by God as believers that our oneness reflects the something of the nature of our triune God and testifies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our unity in Christ Jesus is meant to shine the light of Christ in the dark world. What, what then are we to be unified around? Because we're, we're unified around all kinds of different things, aren't we? Around different sports teams, around the types of phones that we carry, around the cars that we drive, the food that we eat, even the countries that we live in. What are we as believers supposed to be united around? Three things, quickly. First is is a common identity. A common identity. Look back in this chapter to verses two and three. Jesus says, since you have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all, all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right here is our definition of eternal life in John. We've talked about this across John. And John, eternal life is not just some future forever reality when we will be reunited with Jesus in all of eternity without sin in relationship. It is that, okay? But it's so much more than that. And this verse tells us exactly what eternal life is. Eternal life is about living in relationship now with God through Jesus Christ. He says that they may know you, know in John, it's not just this informational knowledge, it's relationship, that, you may, that they may know you and be in relationship with you, the only true God, and through Jesus Christ, whom you sent. You see, when we place our trust in Christ, we're forgiven. Sit in that for a minute. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are forgiven all of our sins and we are united with Jesus in salvation and we're given a new identity. That identity is what? It's a child of God. We're given a new life. We're connected to him in relationship and given and indwelt by his Holy Spirit. This is our identity, we are in Christ to our core and not only is it our identity as individuals, we share it in common as Christians. You know, you have a a more profound commonality with other believers than you do with close friends or family members who don't know Jesus Christ. You know why? Because we are eternally knit together through Jesus. We're united around a common identity. We're also united around common truth, common truth. We just looked at this in chapter 17, verse 17. God's word is our standard for truth. And it's through his word that we, we know him, we obey him, we are conformed to his image. We're united around the fact of what Psalm 119 says, that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. His word is what we're united around. And thirdly, we're united around a common purpose. A common purpose. Verse 18 says, we are sent by God into the world. Verse 21 and 23 Tell us why. We're sent by God into the world so that the world may believe. That's why. A shared mission to reach the world with God's love together. Uh, 17th century mathematician named Blaise Pascal. um, He said this. He said, men despise religion. They hate it and they're afraid it may be true the cure for this the cure for this is to make it attractive okay by that he means to hold out its worth the cure for this is to make it attractive make good men wish it were true and then show them that it is that that's how we're meant to be in the world in our unity and our holiness. I mean, think about it like this way. If, what if, what if a people existed who were truly united by God around a common identity and a common standard of truth and with a single unified purpose and mission to accomplish. And what if those people were united across socioeconomic lines and across ethnic diversity and across political affiliations and careers and preferences and giftings and despite our personal disagreement and differences and personalities, these people all served each other and loved each other and worked together and loved others and they were unified and holy. What if that existed? Guess what? It does. God is building that community, and it's called the church. And it is beautiful and wonderful, not because of us, we know that, but because of him and what he has accomplished on the cross, and how he has brought us together and unified us around himself. Um. One of my favorite things about traveling cross-culturally is getting to experience this around the world. Over the years, as we've sent people out to serve alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world on go trips, um, which by the way, there's a go trip that's open right now. Um, Going to St. Vincent Island in July. You can apply today, apply today. Pray about it for maybe like the next 20 minutes and then go apply. (laughs) We get to join with our brothers and sisters in St. Vincent and reach into their community through a sports VBS camp as they seek to spread the gospel right there on St. Vincent Island, okay? But sorry, shameless plug. You want to be part of that. But over and over and over again, as people come back from traveling around the world, the biggest thing that you all reflect on is it was incredible, to stand shoulder to shoulder with other people and worship the same God. People, people who are worlds apart. People who don't even speak the same language but are united around our identity in Christ, around our standard of God's truth and around our purpose to reach this world with the love of God. It is incredible that and that unity is meant to stand out as beautiful, shine in a dark world, so that people might see the beauty of Jesus. The last thing that Jesus asked the Father is to show us his glory. Show us his glory. Look down and let's finish this passage, verse 24. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Look at this, slow down here. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This last prayer will be answered one day. One day when we are reunited with our Savior and without the curse of sin and with unveiled faces, we will behold him in all of his glory forever. Back to the beginning, how should we come to this passage? I think the the number one way we should come to this passage is in awe. Think about this, moments, moments here. Before Jesus is going to be betrayed, arrested, face an unjust trial, tortured, take the wrath of God upon himself in our place and be crucified on the cross. Moments before that happens, what does Jesus do? The son communes with the father. And what do they talk about predominantly? They talk about us. They talk about Our good. They talk about us being persevered in our faith and being holy and being unified and being together in our purpose. And this is incredible because as we eavesdrop here on the throne room, And what is happening in the relationships that happening? What do we get a glimpse of? We get a glimpse of the Father's love for the Son, this inner Trinitarian love that is perfect, and the Son's love for the Father, and then ultimately, God's love for us. Listen to me. Jesus, in the last moments of his earthly ministry and his life, chooses to spend it, Petitioning the Father on our behalf. <sighs> know that love. And 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 Jesus still petitions the Father on our behalf. Know his love. <sighs> last last thing, here's how we're gonna end. Today we're actually going to end um, imitating. So we're going to put into practice here some of what we've seen in Jesus's prayer, okay? And we're going to pray together. One, one more thing that both unifies us and makes us stand out in the world in our holiness that the Lord gave us is the fact that we intercede on behalf of not only ourselves, but, but each other and the world, okay? So we're gonna we're gonna do three prayer moments here, okay? I'm just gonna, and then I'll, I'll explain them all. Don't worry, we'll walk us through it, okay? We're gonna we're gonna start, and we're gonna pray out in concentric circles. So we're gonna start by praying for ourselves in some ways, then we're gonna pray for our faith family, particularly, and then we're gonna go out and we're gonna pray for the world, okay? So that's how we're gonna start, all Right? Ready? Okay. And I need you to harness your bravery this morning, even in some ways, because we're gonna gonna stretch ourselves just a little bit, okay? So first, first, next couple minutes, let's just spend the next couple minutes and just right there, where you're at, in your seat, talk with the Father. And, And let's ask for him to work particularly in us as individuals, all right? Two ways. Pray that he would sanctify you. Pray that he would increasingly by his spirit through his word mold you into into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And maybe for you that's just a moment of sitting with the Lord and asking him, what do I need to bring to you? And when he bubbles up something in your life that needs confessed, repented of, changed, you, you do that and then you take it right back to him and ask for him to change you in that way. Pray for your sanctification in in specific areas of your life and then pray that your life would be increasingly glorifying to God. Lord, take my, my work and would you help me to make much of you through the way that I do it. Lord, take my parenting. Lord, take my children. Lord, help. Okay, spend the next couple minutes and cry out for God to sanctify you and to glorify himself through your life. Just you right where you're at. Father, change us please. Lord, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? Do a work in us by your spirit through your word from the inside out. Change our heart, change our desires to those of yours. Make us increasingly into your likeness. Would we be quick to repent of the sin in our lives and quick to run to you for the help and the victory over those sins? Thank you that you have dealt with our sin decisively on the cross and by grace through faith in you now we come and are being perfected day by day for your glory. May our lives be spent from the smallest detail to the greatest making much of you in your glory in your precious name. Amen. This next few minutes here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to pray for our faith family. We're going to pray for um, people in our church that may come to mind that you want to pray for specifically. Um, pray for Um, other people in the first service maybe in the third service that you know um, and we're going to pray around similar areas. One, that God would be increasingly glorified by what happens here amongst us as a community of believers, okay? And that we would stay unified around our common identity under the word of God and for the purpose of reaching the world with the good news. And in fact, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna actually huddle up and do this and pray together. Okay, so here's what that looks like. If, it, if this is your first time here, you're a visitor, or if you are uncomfortable because you don't know anyone else that's around you and you're like, I'm not sure I can do that, that's okay, that's okay. Just right where you're at, you can pray on your own during this time. But if you are willing to be brave with us this morning and we will all welcome you into it, right? Right, church? Right, right? Like, here's what we're gonna do. In a minute, stand up. Find someone near you, turn around in your seat, huddle with your family, whatever, and let's cry out together in these next two categories. And I was thinking about this, and I'm like, how cool would it be? I think it would be cool. How cool would it be if every week here at our worship services, after every service, we huddled up and cried out for God to be glorified, and to work in the other surfaces that are going on on Sunday mornings. I think that would be super sweet. And, and whether or not we do that on a regular basis, let's do it today, okay? So here in a second, when I say go, okay? When I say, and, 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 and in this, don't introduce yourselves. No time for that right now, okay? Don't introduce yourself for anything. Be like, hey, how you doing? Oh, you live by me, no, nope, no, nope. no. We're gonna jump straight into prayer, okay? So turn around, all right? Just pretend like you've known them forever. Listen, listen, turn around, look into their eyes and recognize a brother and sister in Christ, eternally knit together by Jesus, okay? And let's cry out for God to do a work here for his glory and for our good in our midst, okay? Ready, marks, get set. All right, I'm going to ask that you stay in the same groups, same same groups, but now turn the focus of your prayers one more step outward from yourself. And let's go out to the world, okay? Here's what I'd ask you to pray for, maybe. Pray for God to do a work in our community, a work of redemption through us. Pray if you're comfortable for specific people by name that you know need Jesus right now, this moment. Pray for our world. Pray for peace in our world, all around our world, in the Middle East, in Haiti. And pray for healing in places like Kansas City, even this morning as I think about that, okay? And pray, petition our good God together on behalf of him working in our world for his glory okay let's we'll spend the last couple of minutes doing that Father, thank you. May these prayers rise to you as a fragrant offering. Lord, we come to you in dependence, faith. We ask that you would make us into your image, Lord. Make us holy. Set us apart for your service. Make us peaceful and gentle and truth-filled and bold for your sake in this world. And would you be glorified? Would you be honored and magnified amongst us as a people? And as we go, as we are sent by you into the world to be in and amongst, but not of, distinct on mission for you. We need you. We are humbled by your love. In your precious name, amen.